Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, welcome to Zion. For those of you that are here for the first time, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here, and we're going to get uh, started today in the Word. I felt like I just got a speeding ticket. <laughs> you all saw that post-traumatic stress. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> This is me speeding to church every Sunday morning and all the, all the cameras. <laughs> uh, but no, I'm, I'm glad you all are here today. Um, I would be remiss not to mention what has happened politically in our country this week uh, with the Supreme Court decision around Roe versus Wade. Uh, I will say I wrote an article about this. Uh, when this first was leaked a couple of months ago, and I posted on our app. So I want to encourage everybody, go and read it. Um, but I will address one thing today before I get into my sermon, and that is outrage culture. Outrage culture might be one of the dumbest inventions of millennials in our generation. And the reason why I say that is because outrage culture does not think deeply about anything it does not enter into conversation with anyone, and it does not enjoy the facts about anything. All outrage culture does is it jumps on the cultural bad wagon of what the world says we should be mad at and what the world says should be right and should be wrong, and then we get on it and we scream into the abyss of social media what everybody else is screaming. I have seen lots of outrage posts from people in our church, but I have not seen one theologically sound or one good conversation around this topic. You are not doing anything by screaming into the abyss. I want to make that clear for our church, that this is not how to engage in conversation this is not how to have a productive society. This is one of the things that is causing societal breakdown and polarization in our country. And when we engage in this, not only are we doing uh, scriptural harm, but we are doing our neighbor harm. And we need to realize this as a church, that before we get outraged and before we scream into the abyss, we need to think, church. We need to pray, we need to consult scripture. Stop consulting Sean King and the latest TikTok star and Instagram famous person. Think and consult scripture. God, spiritually mature people, have conversations. It will do you better because when you stand before God, I know that every post we will be accountable for. Everything. Now before you tip me off as some evangelical conservative wacko. I will say, I had the same things to say when George Floyd was murdered, that I hate injustice because our Lord hates injustice. In fact, our church pioneered 10,000 Christians over a month in 300 churches protesting what happened. This is not about Democrats and Republicans. This is not about being center and moderate. This is about the kingdom of God and how we have been called to be the salt and light of the world. 
how God has called us to be in the world, but not of the world. I don't care who you vote for. What I care about for the people that God has called us to steward over is do we love the scriptures more than we love public opinion? Do we love our neighbor more than we love to outrage? Are we maturing beyond the teenage idea of how to win an argument, which is violence, screaming, and immaturity? That is what I care about. <laughs> Church, do not get swept up by societal norms. Before you form an opinion, turn off CNN, turn off Fox News, read the Bible, pray, talk with your brothers and sisters. That will do you eons better than what I have seen happen this week. Let's go into the sermon. Today we are going to be talking about Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 21. Last week, we read about the greatest event in history, an unplanned pregnancy to an unmarried teenage woman, and how this was God's plan to save the earth, to save humankind. This was God's plan for salvation and for humankind. Today, we look at how does heaven and humanity react to the news that Jesus is born. I uh, half-jokingly asked the worship team to do Christmas in June uh, this week. <laughs> Christmas worship music is my favorite worship music in, in all of it. Um, but we're going to read from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 21. If you have your service sheet, uh, you can read along with me. It says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the angels went away with them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that they were told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at the shepherds, wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. For all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, 
he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So Jesus is born. He is born in a terrible circumstance under very weird situations. Johnny last week preached around the circumstance and the situation of Jesus. So we're not going to get into that part. This is a continuation of last week. But I want to bring us attention to who Luke says Jesus is. Who is this baby that is born? And he uses these three amazing titles that nowhere else in all of the New Testament are these titles given. This is the only time where all three of these titles are found in the same section of Scripture. And that is in verse 11, Luke calls Jesus Savior, Christ, and Lord. Savior, Christ, and Lord. Savior, Christ, and Lord. I want to unpack these three titles because they will be important as we unpack what is happening here that Luke gives us in this scripture, this narrative of the reaction of the shepherds and of the angels to the birth of Jesus. The first title he gives them is Savior, which the, the other word of this scripturally, as we find in the Old and the New Testament, means deliverer. This title is used of God's of emperors, of doctors, of philosophers, anybody that would bring deliverance, savior, heal somebody, somebody of sickness, somebody that was going through something, that they needed something. If it wasn't for them, they would be in bad circumstances, maybe life-threatening circumstances. They would die. Something would be happening. But when the savior comes, when the Roman emperor came, when a god came, to lift them out of their situation. When a doctor came to bring healing to their situation, they were bestowed upon the title of Savior. The emperor of Rome was called the Savior of Rome because because of them, all the empire was able to stay together. The deliverer removed people from bondage. Think about Moses and Israel and how constantly the scriptures call us back to that moment when God delivered the people of Israel from bondage. What was he? He was their deliverer. He was their savior. Anybody ever watch Prince of Egypt? Deliverer! <laughs> that song is forever etched in my memory as a kid and to an adult. Right, this is the first title that is given to Jesus. He is the one that will save his people. He is the deliverer that was long awaited for, the one that all of Jewish history was waiting for, all of God's people since the early prophets had spoken of, the one that would bring salvation to their people. The second title is Christ or Messiah. This title, when defined, says absolute sovereignty and divine relationship. When Jesus is called Christ, he is given this title of his monarchy, of his sovereignty, of his absoluteness, of his divine status and relationship with the Father, 
saying that this is not some normal human savior. This is the Messiah, Christ, also known as the anointed one, the long-awaited one, the one that goes beyond human frailty and human sinfulness, the one that is the Messiah, the one that will bring the humans out of their sinfulness, that in him all sovereignty, all the fullness of God, as Paul said, is pleased to dwell. This is the Messiah. Jesus, in being Messiah, was the only one who could actually fulfill his job of any great savior, of any great prophet, of any great king, of any human. He was the only one that could actually fulfill the job description of what it meant to free the people from bondage, to walk in that divine relationship. Jesus was the only one. And then third, Luke bestows upon the title of Lord or Master. He is royal in every sense, in every understanding of that word. He is our master. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Luke is making the claim that this is not just some person that it'd be a good idea to listen to and to follow, but this is master, this is Lord, this is king. That when we experience Christian freedom, we are not experiencing independence so that we can live a self-governed life, but we are independent from sin and slavery to the world so that we can be slaves and dependent on Christ. Because we go from the master of the world to serving the master of Jesus. That he is to be obeyed in every sense. That every understanding that we have of servitude, every understanding that we have of what it means to be a slave of someone, we give ourselves over to God. And we say, you are now Lord. We pledge allegiance, fealty to you. What you say goes. Our allegiance is towards you. Whatever commands that you give, those are now the commands that we live by. However you call us to live, that's what we will live by. This is the hardest title in the West to give to Jesus because it means a giving up of our self-independence, a giving up of our self-proclaimed right of freedom over our bodies, over our life, over our minds, over our actions. We give it all away and we say, Jesus, you are now in charge. I no longer have dependence. Just like when you get married, the scripture says, your body is no longer your own, it's now your spouse's. Before that, we give ourselves fully over to Jesus. Everything is his. I serve him. I live for him. I obey him. He is master. He is king. He is Lord. See, it's important to always remember that only Jesus has these titles. Only Jesus carries the weight of Lord, of Christ, and as Savior. In our idealized stories, many times we carry these titles. 
I can save myself if. I am anointed to do this special task. No one else is. In our language, it says, I was born for this. Nobody else can accomplish what I'm about to do. How many times do we wake up and motivate ourselves by looking in the mirror? We're told by every self-help guru in the world to say, I was made for this. I was born for this. And that is how we're supposed to motivate ourselves to live our lives, to do our best work, to YOLO it up everywhere we go. But what we do in those moments is we take the title of Lord away from Jesus. We take the title of Savior away from Jesus. We take the title of Anointed One away from Jesus. And in the mirror that morning, when we read that book, that declaration before we go to sleep, we take that crown and we put it on our own heads. We say, I am anointed for this task. I will save myself today. I will be the master of my own destiny. Nobody else will. And in that world, we have all the rights to do everything that we want. A right to happiness. A right to freedom. A right to do as we please. And as Christians, we bring these Western ideals and these Western rights to Jesus. And we say, we will serve you as long as we keep our God-given rights. How ironic. No, when we serve God, we give away all those rights that we never had in the first place because those rights are an illusion of the world and of the enemy to get you to serve him instead of God, to get you to go down every path that he wants you to go to so you can find satisfaction, so you can find comfort, so you can find cheap imitations of shalom, of peace, and of love everywhere else so that you can be empty until the day when he knows he has you forever. And so we've taken our crowns into our Christian walks and we've said things like, we are kings and queens. How many times I've counseled people and they've told me, Justin, I am not happy. And so I'm going to do this that they know clearly goes against scripture. And I just, those words, I always wonder, I'm just trying to find where Jesus promises happiness here. Just, I don't know, I've, I've, I've read it a few times, but it's just, do you know that, that verse? No. First Opinions, chapter <laughs> 2, verse. You must have like the, that other religion Bible. I don't know. The, I don't think I see it in here. And this, this world of happiness, it's unattainable. That's the thing about it. Because our appetite 
never ends. Our desires never end. It's, a, it's, it's, cons- it's all consuming. When it, whenever we get something, we just want more. I believe it was Rockefeller when they asked him, when will you, when will you have enough? Or how much, how much money is enough for you? And he said, just one more dollar. This man, I believe, last time I read, would be worth somewhere like $470 billion in today's terms. The illusion of happiness is so fraudulent because it is never something that we can ever hold on to forever. What Jesus offers, which we'll get into in a moment, is so much more concrete, so much better. So when we look at giving our life to somebody, when we look at bestowing somebody with the title and the crown of of master, of anointed one, of deliverer, we may cringe in our Western ideals of giving up our rights to someone else and obeying somebody else. But that's because we are full of a world of false prophets and false kings that have promised things that have never lived up to the expectations. And so we put Jesus in the same category of human kings and CEOs and presidents and senators and politicians and political parties that have made so many promises of well-being and of happiness and good times and of peace and shalom but has never lived up to the expectations. So here comes Jesus, and we think, now I need boundaries with this Jesus fellow to protect myself from another false king, another false prophet, and so I will follow you on my own terms. I forget which of the founding fathers it was, but they had a Bible And what they did in their Bible is they cut out all of the verses they did not like. Ben Franklin. Cut out all the verses that they did not like. That was their Bible. That was their Jesus. We may not physically do that today and be so out forthright about it, but we do it. I don't like that one. I think there's a little more nuance to that scripture. You know, if you go down to the Aramaic and the Greek and the Hebrew with that, and, you know, it becomes one of those murder mystery boards of all the dots that are connecting to each other, all to get to the right conclusion that is my opinion. We've consulted every internet theologian. We've not consulted the scriptures. Whenever I'm counseling somebody, I know almost right away if they're going to do anything I'm giving them wisdom on. And generally, I know by at what order I am in the line of people they've already asked this question to. So if they come to me and it's like, I've talked to this person, this person, this person, I don't even ask. I don't give advice at that point. I just say, what do they all say? And generally, they are all saying the same thing. And so at that point, I know you're not looking for advice. You're just looking for someone to validate your opinion. 
And that's what's so terrible about social media is you can always find somebody to validate your opinion. You think crystals and incense is going to change your destiny? You can find somebody on social media that's going to validate your opinion. Right? If, if the titles of master, deliverer, and anointed one get misappropriated to the wrong person, yourself, or to the wrong entity, a political party, what will not happen is we cannot sit in the next portion of Scripture. We cannot sit in what Luke identifies happens and as the natural reaction to Jesus. Let's reread chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. It says, And suddenly there was an, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. For our Savior Christ, the Lord, to be born, what did that mean? The first thing it meant in heaven was it was party time. Do you know what I love about our, we don't get a lot of depictions of heaven in scripture, but almost every time we do get a picture of heaven, it is a moment of praise and worship. And so we get a picture into what is happening here in heaven and what is going on. It is Praise upon praise upon praise upon praise, where they are glorifying God in the highest. Where it says the heavenly host was praising God. See, heaven knew what was happening here. Heaven knew what it meant. Heaven knew what was going on in the earth and the appropriate response that even Jesus says later on, if you did not praise, even the rocks would cry out because creation itself knows what is happening here that nothing but celebration could happen. See, the thing about God as king is that when, when God does something, it is good. When God creates creation, after every creation cycle, what does he say? It is good. He saw that what he created and it was good. When he creates humans, he says it is very good. When God does something, it is good. And it evokes praise. It evokes worship. It evokes glorification, magnification. That as a king, he is a good king. His decrees, his commands all lead to life. Eternity, everlasting contentedness, and joy. In Revelation 5, one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible, we see, again, this picture of Jesus and what happens in here. And it's, this is at the other end of Jesus's ministry. But I want to read it because I want us to understand that and sometimes when we worship, we, we don't know in whose presence that we sit. That when God beckons us to praise 
and to pray and to bow before the throne, sometimes, sometimes it's, it's, it's like we've asked for you to, to be tortured by the expression on some of our faces. The worship team is laughing in the back because they get to see everybody's face. That it's, we're coming before God, we're all of heaven, all creation, worships and praises and acknowledges and bows down and cannot contain itself. But when we come before him, what you got on the agenda for today? See what kind of miracles you got up your sleeve this week, God. You know, just checking my nails, wait and see. Let's, Revelation, next time you read Revelation, I want you to read it through this lens. It is a worship service happening in heaven. It will change your perspective of it. We're gonna read chapter five together, the whole chapter. If you have your phone or a Bible on, you can read it with me. If not, you can listen along. And I want you to picture heaven Picture the worship service. All of heaven is gathered right now because something, something important is happening. Something amazing is happening. And this is how they react. John, the apostle, is writing. He says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within it on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll, and on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne... And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. 
when we gather and we worship. This is what a heavenly worship service looks like. A complete and total acknowledgement of who is Lord, Savior, Christ, Messiah, anointed deliverer. That there is no one else who is worthy to accomplish what Jesus, the slain lamb, is able to accomplish. That in him we have life and life more abundantly. That in him eternity is us in his presence. That in him all that we have done is forgiven. All that we have done is broken from us. All chains of sin and death are gone. And all of heaven praised and worshipped the Lord, the Christ, the Messiah. Because when we realize who we worship, our worship changes. When we have a hard time worshiping, it's because we have assigned the titles and the crown to other things. And we have not assigned it to Jesus. But when we assign it to Jesus and realize who it is, whose presence we stand before, that every day welcomes us pure and righteous by his blood before him. Sometimes the most that we can do is what the elders did and just bow and worship and praise and just say all honor, all glory, all might, and all worship be to you. Let me tell you, that is not a waste of time. That is not a waste of a prayer session to bow before the Almighty God, whether it be alone in your room or here on a Sunday service with the other saints and say, all I can do is speak of your worthiness. All I can do is talk of your holiness, is sing of your matchless praise. Because there is none who is worthy like you. And on earth, what it meant for us, it meant to receive the Savior's peace, his shalom. This isn't peace like, yeah, you're never going to have conflict in your life again, peace. This isn't peace of, oh, I'm going to have peace of mind in everything I do type of peace. No, this is peace. This is shalom. This is harmony with God. All of those ridiculous gurus that talk about harmony with the universe. No, there's only one person we could have harmony with that it matters, that it changes things, that it's true peace, true shalom and joy and satisfaction. Satisfaction is not I feel good right now. Satisfaction is no matter what circumstance, whether in happy or in hardship, I am satisfied. Satisfaction, shalom, and peace with God means that what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, that the winds may come, the storms may come, but he who builds their life on the teachings of him, their house will never be shaken. That is peace. That is peace when you have walked through the storm as Jesus did, that everything is raging around you. The storm is going crazy. The waves are going crazy. And you should be sinking. You should be drowning. But instead, you are what? Walking on the water like nothing has happened. Or when he was in the storm in the boat and everybody's raging and going crazy and saying, what will we do? And Jesus was taking a nap on the boat. 
out of shalom, my life may be falling apart. Circumstantially, my bank account may be empty. I may have gotten fired. Things may not be going away. I may feel the most X, Y, and Z I've ever felt before. But the shalom of God can never leave me. I rest my head easy at night. Knowing what's more important is not whether my mortgage is paid and my bills are paid and my utilities are paid or my job stays stable. What's most important and what brings me most peace is am I in harmony with God? Then I am in harmony with everything I need to know. And the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, the Lord, the Master, Luke says, and on earth, peace, shalom among those with whom he is pleased. For our desires to function properly, for our heart to walk in purity, for our lives to be in harmony, there is only one answer, there is only one name, there is only one person, and that is Jesus. At night, you may feel that gaping hole or when you're alone every single time of what can I do to fulfill this desire? It may mean that you're flipping the channels. You may mean that you're going through all the social media streams that you can think of. It may mean checking through everything on Netflix and on Hulu and HBO saying, what will make me happy tonight? What will satisfy you? And at the end, feeling empty every time and wondering, am I going insane that I do this over and over and I never feel good? The promise of shalom is in Jesus. That when you attribute him his titles of savior, Lord and Messiah, Christ. The promise is beautiful praise will erupt and amazing shalom will enter. That is what it meant for all the earth when Jesus came. That finally, what no one could do before what Adam couldn't do, what Noah couldn't do, what Israel couldn't do, finally a perfect solution came. And his name is Jesus. And every day we are allowed to sit in his presence, worship him, and join with heaven in praise. And his shalom is offered to all who will accept him as Lord all who will accept him as Savior, all who will accept him as Messiah. Stand with me and pray. Lord, help us to know that to celebrate you truly for all you have done and all you came to do. That we need to celebrate you how Luke is trying to get you across here. As Lord, as Savior, and as Christ. 
Lord, whoever we have attributed those titles to, whether to ourselves, to a political party, to a news pundit, Father, help us right now. Assign all of that to only you. That our shalom would not be dependent on a Supreme Court ruling or a job that we have or whether we like what we're hearing or not. But it would rest on the shoulders and be the burden of one of Jesus Christ who came as a baby in a feeding trough. And on the day he was born, all of heaven erupted in praise. And all of earth was offered shalom, the peace of God. Help us enter in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. While we worship, in the back, our prayer team We'll be ready at any moment to pray for you. If you need prayer for any reason, we welcome you to come and receive prayer.